And I know we can't eliminate every single negative aspect in the NICU, but we can protect and support from day one. Every NICU caregiver should focus on feeding beginning on day one from birth on. And we can do this by supporting and protecting those oral experiences with each and every interaction and to the best of our ability. Welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud preemie mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are, and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing, and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different, and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's physician for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge. My opinions do not represent that of my employers. last podcast episode, I reviewed cue-based feeding and why there has been a recent shift in the paradigm to move away from volume-driven feedings in the NICU. I discussed how cue-based feeding practices differ from volume-driven feeding, how the practice positively affects the infant's ability to bottle feed or nurse, and how each of the infant's oral experiences and feedings can impact their synaptic neuronal connections, whether positive or negative. For our most recent podcast, I sat down with a former colleague of mine, Lisa Kleins. Lisa is a speech pathologist and a developmental care specialist who is currently the director of education for Dr. Brown's Medical. Lisa and I discuss the Infant Driven Feeding Program, or IDF which is a developmentally supportive, individualized, cue-based feeding program. She explains why the IDF program is so beneficial for infants, their parents, and clinicians as well. We discuss recent evidence-based literature findings that have shown the positive effects of the IDF program, including a reduction in time to full oral feedings, hospital length of stay, and a reduction in hospital costs, as well as increased breastfeeding rates, increased time in kangaroo care, and increased parental involvement. We also discuss how the program benefits clinicians and parents who learn how to feed infants with consistent feeding practices, resulting in a positive feeding experience for the infant and caregiver. Keep listening to learn more about the Infant-Driven Feeding Program, all of its benefits, and how it can be implemented in your hospital. If you are a NICU clinician, you will learn why it is so crucial to provide positive oral experiences from day one to the infant and how it will impact their future and neurodevelopmental outcomes. 
For parents, you will learn specific ways that you can be involved with your infant that will positively impact their oral experiences from the moment they arrive in the NICU. Although we are unable to completely eliminate all of the negative experiences in the NICU, caregivers, including parents, can help protect and support their infant from day one. Stay tuned. You do not want to miss this episode. Have you been searching for the perfect NICU journal and you've been unable to find it? At Empowering NICU Parents, we have created a comprehensive NICU journal called Our NICU Roadmap. The journal is specific for NICU infants and includes everything you've been looking for plus more. We took all of your suggestions to heart and recently revised the journal based on your feedback as well. So it is smaller in size and will fit right into your bag, plus at a better price. The journal has everything I felt was pertinent, both as a neonatal nurse practitioner and a former NICU mother. Our NICU Roadmap provides a place for you to document all of your baby's progress while they're in the NICU. It will equip you with all of the necessary tools so you can confidently become an active member of your baby's care team. We've included educational resources to help you understand the NICU journey better, including, but not limited to, a detailed glossary that covers terms and abbreviations common to the NICU, and a NICU image to help you understand equipment commonly used in the NICU. Not sure what questions to even ask the NICU care team? We have you covered. The daily log guides you with questions to ask the care team, plus adequate space to document all of the pertinent updates for your baby each day. Next, we included specific areas to document all of the details on your amazing miracle, including birth stats, delivery details, weekly measurements, eye exam, and head ultrasound results. We also included a separate full journal section in the back to help you document and process all of your feelings and emotions throughout the journey. In our journal, you will find everything you need plus the finite details you have not even thought of yet. I promise you will look back on this and be amazed by your little one and all of their achievements, and it will be such a great keepsake. Go and grab your copy of our NICU Roadmap now on Amazon. Or if you are interested in buying in bulk at a discounted price for your hospital or organization, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash NICU journal to contact us and see additional details and images of our journal or find the link in the show notes. NICU moms are a unique group of strong, brave, and proud women. It is not necessarily a group that you would choose to join, but once you are a part of it, you become part of a special tribe. To honor and celebrate all of the strong NICU mamas within the NICU community, we created NICU Mama hats. Our trucker baseball hats are multicolored and adorable in a simple leather patch that says NICU Mama. Show your pride for your brave little one and celebrate your personal strength as a NICU mama with these adorable hats. Or consider purchasing one as a gift for that strong NICU mom you know and adore. Our hats are adjustable, so one size fits all. We ship for free in the United States, plus a portion of the proceeds from each hat sale go into our foundation to help and support current NICU families. Grab your hat now at empoweringnicuparents.com.
com forward slash hats. That's empowering NICU parents.com forward slash H-A-T-S. Or find the link in our show notes. Now back to the episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. I am very excited to have a special guest, actually a former colleague of mine that we worked together years ago. And ironically, she and I have both moved on to different states from where we worked together. I am joined today by Lisa Klein. So Lisa, if you could just tell me a little bit more about yourself, your family, and where you live. Thanks, Nicole, and thanks for inviting me. I am from the Midwest originally, as you mentioned, born in Illinois. I went to two Big Ten schools, and I lived and worked in the NICU field in Chicago for over 25 years before coming to Dr. Brown's Medical. I have two children. One recently graduated from college, and the other is a freshman in college, and neither of them are in healthcare. Last year was a huge year of change for me. After living in the Chicago area for over 30 years, my husband and I became empty nesters and moved to Northwest Arkansas. We had three moves in one month. We moved to Arkansas, my daughter to her first job in Florida, and my son to his college dorm room. After many years of being in Chicago, we are loving the weather and outdoors in Arkansas, and hiking and biking have become our newest hobbies. I love that. Just out of curiosity, what are your Big Ten schools? (laughs) I got my undergrad at University of Illinois and my master's at Indiana. Okay. Yes, because you know I'm a huge Purdue fan, Purdue alumni here, so I just had uh, to ask. I actually didn't know that. Well, now I'm an SCC fan because I'm now in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is you know the Arkansas Razorback. So I'm now an SEC fan. So we've transitioned. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you can't move there and not be. No. So professionally, as I mentioned, you and I have worked together for years back in the Chicago suburbs, as you mentioned, but... I know that you have many, many years of NICU experience, and you've worn very many professional hats as a speech pathologist, developmental care specialist, plus more. But if you don't mind just sharing with our audience a little bit more about your work background, and then, as you mentioned, what you're doing today, but then kind of what led you to where you are today. Sure. After graduating with my master's in speech, as I mentioned, I worked at a children's hospital in Chicago, and I immediately fell in love with working in the NICU And then I pursued additional education related to that population. So eventually I became certified in NIDCAP and developmental care, which led to a position change there as a developmental care specialist in the NICU. From then on, I spent every day, all day in the NICU, right beside patients, nurses, and families. I also became a certified lactation counselor and infant massage instructor. It was right about then that I moved to the suburbs and had my own children and transitioned to working for a suburban NICU, which is where you and I met. In this role as a developmental care specialist and speech pathologist, I initiated several educational projects, including Q-based feeding and other quality improvement studies related to developmental care. And that's where I think I realized that education and project improvement were something that I really wanted to pursue, and that led me to Dr. Brown's Medical. And I've been with them for about seven years now, and I'm the director of education. And in this role, I create and deliver educational developmental care-focused feeding resources to the Dr. Brown's medical team and other healthcare professionals in the field of infant feeding. This also includes equipping healthcare providers with feeding resources that they need for the infants and families in their care. I love that. And I love how your professional life just kind of piggybacked on top of each other, you know, from where you started and then obviously developmental care specialist, and then that led to, you know, speech pathologist and then lactation as well. And 
where I started out as a NICU nurse where you and I met. And so I know I learned so much as far as developmental care and how important that is from you and our different colleagues. So we know that infants in the NICU, especially those prematurely, are at an increased risk for not only feeding difficulties, but also oral aversion. So I'm curious in your experience, if you just don't mind explaining to our audience, why does this occur? And then what can we as NICU clinicians or what can parents do to promote a more positive oral and feeding experience? You know, just even discuss what we can do prior to introduction of feedings as well. Yeah, that is a great question. And there is so much that parents can do. So I'm excited to talk about this. Of course, there are medical contributions to feeding challenges. But after years of research, we know that early experience plays a vital role in shaping infant behavior. And I just want to mention your podcast the, before this one that led into this. You described like in point just so many great things that about the brain. And I just want to touch on that. I'll just expand on it a little bit. But Everything we do in the NICU shapes infant brains. So while the infant brain is growing, which of course it does rapidly in that third trimester when these babies are in the hospital, if they are bombarded with frequent and unprotected negative experiences surrounding the oral structures, this can create negative pathways in the brain. And that can lead to oral aversion or later feeding struggles. And I know we can't eliminate every single negative aspect in the NICU, but we can protect and support from day one. Every NICU caregiver should focus on feeding beginning on day one from birth on. And we can do this by supporting and protecting those oral experiences with each and every interaction and to the best of our ability. In the NICU, we call it neuroprotection or protecting the brain. And we can do this so many ways. We can protect sleep, decrease stress, provide pain support, positive touch, kangaroo care, providing positive oral experiences. What does that look like practically? Well, even think about, for example, from day one, when an infant is suctioned, we can have two people, two people supporting that baby, ideally, of course, including the parent, providing care, containment, and support. We can promote kangaroo care from day one as much as possible. Colostrum, encourage early oral experiences of licking, sucking, nuzzling at the breast. When the infant receives an NG feeding, the infant should be held and, if possible, provided with a pacifier or, of course, mom's emptied breast. And those are just a few examples. And when possible, the parent should be providing these experiences. There are so many great ways the parents can be involved in feeding way before actual breast or bottle feeding actually begin. I think it's so important that you mention that because I think, especially for our parents who aren't, they just aren't knowledgeable, obviously, if you've never been in the NICU or had a child in the NICU feel very helpless as a parent, but a lot of times I feel like they don't know that they as a parent can help with some of those early things. They think they can't do anything with feeding until it's time to try to feed their baby a bottle or to possibly put them to breast. And just as you mentioned, there's so many things that lead up to that that can actually help how they do feed once they are actually ready, you know, at that gestation to orally feed. And I think neuroprotection neuropromotion, all of that is so important. And just as you said, you know, involving parents early on, allowing them to help with two-person care, encouraging them to hold their baby, as you mentioned, while they are getting an NG feeding. And then just as you mentioned, putting them to breast with an empty breast or what, you know, sometimes we call non-nutritive sucking. And I actually did that with my son, William, and 
I feel like it was a major component of when he was able to actually take a bottle that he did really well with it and such great information. And like I said, I think it's so important that parents understand that they can actually help and they are making an impact as our clinicians from day one, just as you mentioned. And it, it yeah. really just kind of changes the trajectory of from day one, if clinicians are doing it and they're teaching parents to do it, that they will continue to do that throughout the NICU stay, which then will minimize a lot of those oral version, not just oral version, but just neurodevelopmental pathways and the things that can impact the baby in the NICU and then for years and years later. Right. And, you know, I also want to say like back in the day, right, when I first started in speech, the speech pathologist would show up when the baby was ready to start feeding from a bottle or breast. And the conversations for feeding really should begin at day one because we're preparing the baby to set them up for success later. It doesn't start when we're going to do some real oral feeding, but it starts that second that baby is born and it starts um, with all the positive promotional neuroprotection activities. Absolutely. Yes. And I agree with that too. The speech pathologists, and they could really come day one or day two and just start educating the parents on the things that they can do. Because like I said, as a parent, you feel very helpless, but these are very minimal things that they can do that will help the baby, you know, and obviously then make them feel like they're participating as well, which once they start to learn some of those things like two-person care, kangaroo care, it becomes routine. And so they also then become a lot more confident in how they're caring for their infant. And you're the parent. So, I mean, you've been in this role, so you could probably speak to this better, but I would think too, I know parents have said, you know, in those beginning stages, especially you feel helpless because there's not much you can do, but there is so much you can do, right? Especially in this area, the parents can be involved from day one, doing so many positive things to give them something so they don't feel helpless when their baby, especially if a baby is very ill. Yes, absolutely. I feel very helpless. You know, you can hopefully, you know, they're being encouraged to provide breast milk, but there are so many impactful things that they can do that will benefit their baby. Like I said, not just early on, but throughout their NICU stay and then the years to follow. And then that, therefore, when the parents feel like they're involved, it builds their confidence and then it increases or helps with that bonding as well. So, so, so crucial. So with your role at Dr. Brown's Medical as the director of education, you've talked about it a little bit, but um, you focus on educating parents, families, and healthcare clinicians on creative, these positive feeding experiences like we talked about. And I mentioned it a little bit, but if you don't mind just sharing, why is this so important and how does it impact the infant's development in the future? Absolutely. Well, it's often said in our field, what happens in the NICU doesn't stay in the NICU. And as I mentioned, what infants experience related to feeding can stay with them throughout the NICU and actually throughout their lives. That's why we want to set them up, the infants and their families, set them up for success early on. So research shows that somewhere between 40 to 70% of premature in infants experience some type of feeding problem. And some of it has to be related to experience. I think that as NICU clinicians, one of our biggest goals should be to change that statistic. And our mission at Dr. Brown's Medical is for every baby to receive positive feeding experiences from the start. Many people don't realize that traditional feeding products and practices for infants are actually inconsistent and can result in poor feeding outcomes. So we deliver valuable feeding solutions to help create the best possible outcomes for all babies. You know, like I said, we must set infants up for success to have success later. Feeding isn't just about getting nutrition in. It's also relational. It's social. It's also at the center, as you know, the center of the parent-infant relationship. So big picture, we have a video that starts with a baby feeding in the NICU, then as a toddler in a high chair, 
and ends with a picture of a large group of people of all ages sharing a beautiful meal together in a social situation with the statement, feeding is for life. I love that. That is so important. And like you said, I think it's important to touch on that there are so many inconsistencies and not just in between NICUs throughout the world, but even between providers and clinicians day to day with these infants. And that kind of leads me into my next question. Recently, as you kind of alluded to, there's been a shift in the paradigm in NICUs from using a more volume-driven feeding culture to more of a cue-based feeding. And if you don't mind just explaining a little bit more about the differences between the two. Absolutely. And this is just what, you know, the point is inconsistency. So historically, in a volume-driven culture, the success of feeding is determined by how much that feeder can get the infant to take. So the focus is on intake and quantity rather than quality. And this, unfortunately, has led to sometimes caregivers feeding infants longer than the infant's desires, past cues that the infant tells us, I'm done, or I don't like this. And what does it look like? It looks like sometimes twisting or prodding of the bottle, or continuing to unswaddle premature infants, rubbing them to wake up, feeding longer than they should. And not only can this create negative feeding experiences, but actually it can even be unsafe. So conversations around feeding focus on how much the infant took in that old volume-driven culture. And then this culture is passed on to the parents, and then they focus on volume as well, because we know that parents often do as their caregivers do. If they see us as the experts pushing infants to feed more, they learn to do this at home as well. Well, in contrast, in cue-based or in infant-driven feeding, the focus is on quality. The caregiver learns to read the infant cues or communicate when infants are ready to eat, what modifications are needed maybe during the feeding, when to stop the feeding based on what the infant is telling them. So the infant is in the driver's seat, so to speak. It's more of a relationship than just the caregiver getting the infant to feed. Let's even look at maybe how a response to a question during rounds would be of if somebody said, how did baby Joe eat today? Well, in a volume-driven culture, the response might be, he did great because he took almost his whole bottle. And that focus is on the whole bottle. But in cue-based feeding, a response would be, well, Joey was awake. He was showing cues for his feeding. He fed with a low-flow nipple with really nice coordination of suck, swallow, breathe. And if they were using IDF or infant-driven feeding, the caregiver might respond with a quality score. And to continue, we might add, if we're really talking about cue-based and infant-driven feeding, at the end, we could say he had some cues when he was done. And so the remainder was offered via NG tube while mom held him. So cue-based feeding, of course, does recognize volume. I don't want to say that, you know, it never counts. I mean, of course, we have to recognize volume because infants have to complete their feedings eventually. They have to go home. But first, skill, quality, and safety must be supported, and then volume will come. Thank you so much for such a great explanation. And I spoke about it on our last podcast episode, a little bit about the difference between volume-driven and infant-driven feeding or cue-based feeding. And I admitted myself that when I was a NICU nurse and it made me cringe, and just as you're talking about it now, that we did some of those behaviors, you know, we twisted the bottle. And and just as you mentioned, parents are learning from us, they're watching, and we are then forecasting what they're going to do at home. So if you teach them that we don't want to push baby Joe, we want him to take it as he's interested and how much that impacts, not just how they're going to 
feed in the future, but as we spoke about, but just about their development. And it's all so tied in and so impactful, which leads me a little bit into my next question. With infant-driven feeding, like you mentioned, it's a program that focuses on developmentally supportive, individualized, cue-based feeding. So could you explain just a little bit more about the program? I know you touched on the scoring system and just exactly what it is and how it benefits our babies. Yeah. And not all hospitals have infant-driven feeding, but I think it's important too, and I know parents are here listening today, but that parents know about infant-driven feeding as well, because hospitals who do have infant-driven feeding are just changing babies' lives. So infant-driven feeding, or as we call it, IDF, is a type of cue-based feeding, but it's an actual specific program. So originally, it was created by two occupational therapists who saw a need for an evidence-based feeding program in the NICU. And historically, NICU staff have had, as we mentioned, that inconsistent education surrounding feeding, which has also contributed to poor outcomes. IDF takes cue-based feeding to the next level. Cue-based feeding isn't enough. So in fact, if you were to go around to hospital staff, if you ask them, do you do cue-based feeding or what what is cue-based feeding? They might actually all answer in a very different way. Right. So IDF is a specific program that it's an online educational program for all staff in a unit to take puts them on the same page, and then it's also comprised of three scales, readiness, quality, and strategies for support. The program not only allows all staff to get the same education, but it provides scoring, it provides language, a consistent language, and a process for feeding. Since inconsistency is often a major problem with feeding, IDF doesn't only help change from a volume-driven unit to an infant-driven unit, but it also can change the culture from one that was inconsistent with inconsistent messages, inconsistent language, and processes to one of consistency. IDF begins with neurodevelopmental foundation and promotes positive feeding experiences from day one. And a major component of IDF is breastfeeding. And just this past year, we did add a breastfeeding module to further support IDF and breastfeeding. I did see that. Yes. And I love that too, because as you and I both know, obviously providing breast milk is huge, but we want these babies to be able to go home and go to breast if that's something that the mother or the family wants. So I love that you guys have now implemented that into your program. And just again, want to touch on how great I think that it is because it, just as you mentioned, the inconsistencies and if everybody has done the program and they've learned from it and done the education, then not only are all the clinicians going to be doing the same thing, but then you're teaching these great skills and you know teaching parents how to be able to read their baby's behavioral cues while they're in the NICU. And then all, obviously all of that will follow them at home. So I love Right. Love Absolutely. That. You know, and people come into the NICU with different education. You know, some have taken this course and some have taken this course, or some have kind of taught their own or people do their own courses. But with IDF, every single person can take it and it puts everyone on the same page so that we're not giving parents mixed messages because I'm sure, you know, we've all seen where therapists might tell parent one thing, but then the nurse tells them something different and the doc tells them something different. And I can't even imagine what that's like for a parent. That's, (laughs) you know, that's very frustrating. And then they start to not trust you because everybody's saying something different. So if we're all on the same page, it's better outcomes. It's just better for everyone. Yes, I love that you mentioned that because it is, as a parent, very, very difficult when you're getting mixed messages and miss um, just different information from different people. And I love, too, that you mentioned, like I said, I admitted as a NICU nurse, I did some of those 
things, you know, to get a baby to take a bottle. And since then, obviously, I have gone back and, you know, become a nurse practitioner. And so I've expanded my education, but don't know where everybody's coming from. And they may have gone from one culture of volume driven, and we got to get this quantity in the baby. And they may have gone to a different hospital that does the same thing. So it's just, I love that the program includes all of the clinicians so that everybody's on the same page. I, in our last episode, did refer to and discuss some of the research that has been shown from the infant-driven feeding program from different hospitals that have implemented the program regarding the infant's time to achieve full oral feedings, how it impacts their length of stay, and then also its impact on cost savings for the hospital. So could you touch a little bit more on that, on the research that you've seen and you guys have reviewed? Absolutely. And there is every year more and more research being done. So the research speaks for itself and more and more hospitals are sharing QI projects or writing research papers and publishing in journals, which we're very excited about. And and they're presenting at conferences. But when hospitals implement IDF, results have shown a reduction in length of stay with actually an average of 8.8 days, reduced total time to full oral feedings as well. And hospitals show, this is huge, increased breastfeeding rates and increased time in kangaroo care. And that's because of the, all of the principles of um, infant-driven feeding that start from day one, as I mentioned. And we know that both of those, increasing breastfeeding rates and kangaroo care, have a multitude of benefits. The cost savings can be significant from the cost of saving on feeding supplies to the savings from reduced length of stay, which some hospitals have reported up to $45,000 per patient. And if we're improving breastfeeding rates, there are also healthcare dollars and savings in general that would occur in the long run. So additionally, IDF hospitals report improved parent and staff satisfaction. What's really exciting is that there is some early evidence being done currently that the implementation of IDF can result in fewer feeding problems post-discharge. And we're very excited to see this information coming in the next year. We recently did a webinar with three nurse leaders who came on to speak about their hospital's success with IDF, and they presented all their research that they had. So um, you can always come to our website and see that that webinar as well. I love that. I love all of the positive outcomes that the studies are showing. And I can tell you as a parent to somebody else, an average of eight days increased length of stay may not mean a whole lot, but I can tell you as a parent to be able to bring your baby home one week earlier is very huge and impactful. And then also, like you mentioned, obviously the kangaroo care rates and time that babies are skin to skin is so, so important as well as breastfeeding rates. So I love hearing all that. Additionally, some of the studies that have shown Q-based feeding increases parental involvement and enhances their ability to interpret their own infant cues. And we've discussed this a little bit, and it goes obviously way beyond a pleasant feeding experience, but just as we alluded to, so much it impacts their neurodevelopment. But if you don't mind explaining just a little bit more about why is this finding so substantial that we're including our parents and that we're teaching them their baby's cues? Yeah, it goes so much deeper than that because one of the biggest reports of difficulties in the literature after discharge of parents of preemies is that they're uncomfortable or uncertain during feeding and have trouble reading those infant cues. And with cue-based feeding and specifically IDF, infant's cues are read and responded to. The infant guides the feeding and the feeder responds to the infant. And when cues are understood and feeding is a relationship, right? It's not just getting it in. It's not just a task, but it's better for the infant. But the parent-infant relationship and bonding are improved. 
Parents in the NICU where IDF is used actually explain that IDF helped them learn more about their babies. We even had one mother of triplets from Virginia tell us that she is confident IDF helped her breastfeed and without it, she wouldn't have stuck with it. And that was with triplets. So. Wow. Just as you mentioned, the, there's so much that goes into it with parents and just we've touched on a little bit too, but just the bonding and how impactful it is. And once parents are feeling more confident, they're able to read their infant's cues. And, you know, these cues have been around for a while, but, you know, obviously we learn more and more <laughs> um, and we're actually hopefully paying attention to them more because our babies do speak to us. They obviously have a lot of nonverbal cues and fingers playing and there's just a lot of things that babies do that we need to pay attention to. And I think it's so important to teach the parents that as well. And just again, to talk about research and just to you know, make sure that we cover all the things. But when I was doing some research for this as well, I saw that there were some concerns that the infant-driven feeding program may negatively impact neonatal weight gain. I saw it in one study. They did touch on that. But have you seen this at all? And in, in your experience, what do you feel like that this might be attributed to? Yeah. And of course, there's some factors to that. But in most of the published research and the QI studies, weight gain hasn't been a factor. And hospitals report success with IDF with positive outcomes. In fact, such language has been used in some of the research that they attained ad lib feeds, but without compromising weight gain. So I know, and I don't know if we're talking about the same study, but there recently was one study that I know of that the IDF group had a larger drop in weight Z scores but the authors later speculated this was due to earlier discharge and a younger age. So that's the only one I've seen of that. But hundreds of the hospitals across the country use IDF and have had positive results. Of course, close follow-up and individualized care is key, okay? So in addition to safe and nurturing, IDF is meant to be developmentally and individually appropriate. This means feeding is not a recipe book but that each infant and their path to full oral feeding is considered individually. Let's take even, for example, for breastfeeding infants, close and individualized management of breastfeeding is essential. So with IDF, breastfeeding is emphasized from the start and a protected breastfeeding window where no bottles are given is encouraged. But units need to make sure that all staff take the program, parents are educated, and breastfeeding education and support occurs. With IDF, if supplementation after breastfeeding is needed, the breastfeeding algorithm or test weights are used, but if staff aren't trained in either of them, you know, supplementation maybe could not be provided accurately. And then, of course, that could affect weight gain. So that's why also in the IDF model, when an infant is ready for PO ad lib, it's not just this, you know, like read a recipe book and go, but the entire team has a conversation to make sure each team member believes the infant will be successful with the transition. It's a team approach, which of course includes the parent and a conversation with the parent. Thank you, yes, for explaining that, yes, although we're saying it's not volume driven, that there is still discussions and daily discussions and it's being followed. And I think it is the same study that we were each speaking about because the same one I read as well did allude to the fact that there probably was due to earlier discharge. Because if you think about even a 28-week infant, and they are successfully eating ad lib, and they are consistently obviously gaining weight enough that they're able to go home and they're discharged at 35 weeks versus 36 and a half or 37 weeks, their weight will be different and obviously a little bit less at discharge. So if you don't mind, for any hospitals or clinicians that might be interested in implementing the infant-driven feeding model into their NICU, what advice do you have for them? And then how can they move forward to get it implemented? What would the steps that need to be that they should take? 
Absolutely. I would encourage all units to take a look at their current feeding practices and evaluate them. We actually have a tool called the Oral Feeding Practice Review that can help a unit get started. And then you need to establish a team, begin discussions, look at the research, talk to hospitals or staff who've completed IDF. It really does take a whole team and a commitment. IDF is so much more than a tool or a learning module. It's an actual culture change with the potential for great benefits. And our team at Dr. Brown's Medical can help from the beginning. We have IDF advisors that will walk a hospital through the process every step in the way. And we can even assist with ideas for funding on how to get the program, how to implement it, how to purchase it, et cetera. I love you mentioned the idea that you could speak to other hospitals that have implemented it because just as you said, we know in everything in life, but especially I think at hospitals that are there has to be a cultural change and with any kind of change, I feel like you have to have champions and yes, you have to get the buy-in. So I think that's a great idea to speak with other hospitals that have actually already had it implemented and they can see how the implementation went, but then also how their success rate and how everything is going so far. So where should our listeners or anyone who would like additional information on Dr. Brown's medical or the infant-driven feeding program go to learn more? You can go to our website at www.drbrownsmedical.com. You can email us at medinfo at drbrownsmedical.com. And I am always happy to answer any emails as well. It's, um, I don't know if you'll put it up somewhere. You can definitely share my email, but it's lisa.kleins at drbrownsmedical.com. Awesome. Yes, we will include all of those links that she mentioned as well as her email in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lisa. I have obviously enjoyed just catching up with you personally and speaking about this incredibly important topic. And I just think it's so important for parents and clinicians to know that it's available and that, like we said, I hope we touched on enough that just how impactful it can be, not just for our babies, but for the entire family unit once they go home. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And also just, you are doing great work here. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed learning more about the Infant Driven Feeding Program and why it is so crucial that we learn and respect an infant's cues and provide them with positive feeding experiences. Our brains are amazing, but with that, we must remember that with infants, especially those born prematurely, their brains are still pruning and adapting based on their individual experiences. So we all must intentionally protect and support them throughout their time in the NICU and beyond. How we introduce or provide oral experiences will not only impact how they will orally feed in the future, but it also impacts their future development. Every NICU caregiver needs to support and protect oral experiences with each and every interaction, starting on the first day of life. In doing so, the parents also learn early on how they can support and protect their infant throughout their NICU journey and beyond. The consistency provided to the infant by all of the caregivers helps to provide the most optimal patient outcomes, which is one of the key components of the infant-driven feeding program. As Lisa mentioned, there is much more research coming out in the near future on the IDF program, but thus far, the benefits are so significant. To learn how you can get the infant-driven feeding program in your NICU or for any additional information, head to drbrownsmedical.com.
www.thelinkinourshow.com or find the link in our show notes. For all the additional links mentioned in the episode and how to get in touch with Lisa, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 46. I want to thank Lisa Kleins for joining me and sharing her vast knowledge on neonatal neural development, plus all of the tangible ways that caregivers can provide positive feeding experiences and the infant-driven feeding program. I am so grateful that our professional paths have crossed again. Until next time, thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear, so make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye.